we will talk ourselves out of what God called us to do. He'll say, move this way. And you'll start moving, but you'll start thinking about all of the issues that you have to overcome. And little by little, you'll start talking yourself out of the will of God. Because you'll start thinking, well, I know how much I got. He didn't tell you that. Well, I know how much I, I he didn't tell you that. Yeah, I know, I don't know that. He didn't tell you that. He just told you to do what you know to do. And stop talking yourself out of the will of God as if he's not there to give you the stuff that you need to learn on the journey. If you have your Bible, turn with me, uh, if you will. I'm going to do a little bit brief review, but we're going to start at Mark 11 and verse number 20, number 23. Mark 11 and verse number 23. Well, we've been discussing for the last little bit about faith in this, what I call the Faith Treasure Series. For some of the things that are going on in our world, some of the things that are going on in our individual life, and for the places that God intends for us to go, it's all going to require that we walk and live by faith. I think back over the last maybe just four years since we got into doing essentially some of the things that we're doing in ministry, how much our life has already changed. How much things, when we got started, look different than they do now. We are in a new house. We are in a new job. We're in a new church location. We blessed God when we first got started. We started down at the library. And now we're over here uh, uh, in West Gastonia, praise God, doing our assignment. And things change as you go down the journey of faith. But every step that we've taken and every step that's uh, in front of us will require that you walk and you live by faith. Faith is not a a one-time event, but it is a lifestyle that God calls every single believer to. And so, it's important that we have these areas in these times where we have a faith refresher. To understand about what faith is. How to walk by faith and how to live by faith. If he says that the just shall live by faith and it's a command, then it's something that we need to talk about routinely. And so I don't make any apologies at all for spending some time as a director of the Lord talking about this area of faith. Because one of the things that I begin to see is that if you have an area of worry that's in your life, then you are seeing an area of fear, which means that area of fear that's in your life, that's an area of doubt where God is concerned. That you don't have your place or you don't have this built in your heart yet that God can take care of me in this area. And since you don't think that God can take care of you in this area, you take on the worry of it. And what God says, cast all those cares on me because essentially I care for you. What does that mean? I have the ability to take care of the needs and the issues of your life. I have the ability and the need to take care of the issues of your very heart. But the question is ability, the question is whether or not you trust me. So let's go back and let's define the word faith. <clears throat> Defining the word faith out of Hebrews 11 in verse number 1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm getting used to the fact that, you know, this mic pops on me as soon as I get ready to minister. But we're not going to let that distract us this morning. Let me just make that announcement. That's not going to distract me. We're going to keep going in Jesus' name. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Well, we've said before that faith is active. 
It's active. It is alive. It's energetic. It is dynamic. It's working. It's it's effective. Faith always is now. If it's not now, it's not faith. If it's not active, it's not faith. And it indicates to us that faith there. It's also a composite. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. He says the evidence of things not seen, which lets us know that faith is a composition of these two elements, hope and evidence. Hope and evidence. Hope is the aspiration of the good, as we continue to say in this series, that if you have an aspiration of the good, and that's all you have, you don't have Bible faith. You have to have evidence or a promise of God that links up with this aspiration of the good or hope. And then we've also said, if we look over in the book of James, that indicates to us that faith without works or corresponding works is dead. And so from that, we've gotten our full definition, if you will, that faith's components are hope, evidence, and actions. Faith's components. I've got to have each one of these components for it to be Bible faith. Hope, evidence, and actions. I can't just stay in hope and think I'm operating in faith, not according to the word of God. I can't have evidence of the word. In other words, I have all these scriptures that I have in my possession, but I don't hope for any of them. I don't aspire for any of these things to be in manifestation in my life. Then I still don't have faith. And I cannot have evidence and I can't have hope and I ain't doing nothing. Every one of these elements have to be in its proper seat in order for it to be Bible faith. And in order for you to receive what God has already made available for you. Now the reason why I spend a lot of time talking about this area of evidence is because a lot of people say a lot of weird stuff these days. A lot of weird stuff, all kinds of stuff here and there. If it's not rooted in a promise, you don't have a right to believe for it. All the promises of God are in him, yes and amen, which means God is already co-signed to say, I have approved this area. Let me give you a natural example. There are certain areas, you know, that, uh, that, that people like to do and they like to operate in and they go and they say, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that. And then the question I always ask, do you have authorization for that? There's a lot of this. But there's only a few things that God says I've authorized you to do. Evidence is what allows you to know where the parameters are. Yes, even in the grace of God. And so he says, I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. What does that mean? Those that diligently look for where are these parameters. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But he said it comes about through knowledge. So hope. Evidence of what God says I've already approved and corresponding actions to receive from God. Now let's look over, if you will, to Romans. Romans chapter number 10. So we understand these are the components in regards to faith. Well, where does faith come from? According to Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 17, looking at this really quick. The scripture indicates, so faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing of the word of God. So the word of God when it's ministered. When the word of God is spoken. Faith cometh. I heard brother Charles Cap say this one time. A lot of people think in terms of faith. As only coming from the voice of the preacher. 
That is an aspect. Absolutely. Especially in the pastoral ministry. Faith, as I minister the word, faith cometh. But you know, faith comes by you doing a simple principle as to reading the Bible out loud. Getting the Bible in your own private time and giving voice to the scriptures. Your heart hears that word. There's something about reading the scriptures out loud. Faith cometh. Faith cometh. It cometh by hearing. And then he says, and by hearing, which means once again, it is not a one-time event. It is not a one-time situation. You say, well, I've heard that scripture before. Right, keep hearing it. Hear it and 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 build up on it so that it gets on the inside of your heart. And even when it gets on the inside of your heart, God has the ability to take one scripture and open it up in a way that you've never seen before. But if you allow yourself to get cold and hardened to, I heard this before, I know this stuff, then you lock yourself off from allowing the Holy Spirit to open a new revelation concerning the same scripture that maybe you've heard over and over and over again. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, having said that, let's go back here to Mark 11 verse 23. Mark 11 and verse 23. And the scripture said, as the King James Version of the Bible, verse 23, Verily, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed. And we talked about calling things that be not as though they were on the midweek. Showing and looking at the example how when, when the situation with Lazarus, how Jesus spoke the end from the very beginning. And he's saying right here, for we say unto you, he says, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast, and be thou cast into the sea. And he says, And shall not doubt in his heart. So the condition of my heart is key to my speaking. The condition of my heart is key to me proclaiming the word and calling the thing that be not as though they were. The condition and the position of my heart, if I say it like that, is key for me seeing manifestation. He says, and shall not doubt in his heart. Verse number uh, uh, 23 goes on to say, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So it's not just simply the saying, it's the believing part. The believing part has to be rooted in hope, evidence, and action. The action of speaking or calling things that be not as though they were has to be rooted in evidence, has to be rooted back in hope, and that has to be on the inside of your heart, which is what produces the ability to call things that be not as though they were. He says, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to, back, come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. He says, verse 24, therefore I say unto you, what things, whatsoever, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe. Well, why do I desire the things that I want? It's because I am in the position of abiding. He said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you can ask what you will and it shall be done. So the position of my heart is the part that, that's important for me understanding this for my speaking. The position and condition of my heart is important for me speaking to this mountain. 
Maybe that's the reason why that mountain has not been moved in your life. It's because your heart is not fixed in his word yet to move that mountain. I said again, uh, I believe on last Sunday, the spiritual force of faith was not really shown to Abraham in year 76, 78, 77, 86, it was at year 99. And the reason why I believe that happened is because of the fact in year 99, Abraham had walked with God long enough that his heart had been established. The condition of your heart is what authorizes you to have the power to speak to that mountain. The more word on the inside of you, the more power God releases from your heart to be able to speak to issues in your life. Now, <clears throat> we said some of the characteristics, therefore, of faith are that faith is a relationship. Now, we also, we've explained what faith is. That is hope, evidence, and action. But it has characteristics, certain things that operate in a certain manner every single time. Faith is a relationship, it's a lifestyle, it's a journey, it's a mindset, it's a spiritual force. Now I split every one of these out because of explanation, but they really kind of concurrently go together. That's the reason why I've flown back into the spiritual force of faith. But we're talking right now primarily about the relationship. To the development of your heart is, has to do with the relationship with Almighty God. A relationship that is built in this area of trust. God, I trust you. God, I trust you with the areas of my heart. God, I trust you with your agenda for my life. God, I trust you with my family. God, I trust you with my job. This has to be established first. So I said to this, and I said a little clumsy, and I want to clean this up a little bit. Trusting God essentially means trusting his heart for you. Trusting his heart for you. Well, you got to know his heart for you first. I got to know that he cares about me. I got to know that he's concerned about me. I got to receive him as an Abba Father. And that means for those that didn't have a good father, I got to receive him as being the actual picture of what fathership looks like. That I'm not going to let you go. That I'm concerned about you. That you don't have to call me and wonder if I'm going to call back. I am concerned about you. I am the picture of what a good father looks like. Trusting God is first trusting his heart for you. And then trusting God also means his means or his welfare of you. Trusting God means trusting his means or his welfare of you. Well, what is welfare? It is the state of doing well, especially in respect to good fortune, happiness, well-being, and prosperity. That's just a basic Webster de definition of the word welfare. God, I trust your means of happiness, welfare, prosperity, the good in my life. I trust you. You're a good father, and I trust your heart, but I trust your means, your welfare of me. That means sometimes, Lord, why are we going this way? Trust me. Why is this happening? Trust me. Why do you want me to do it? Trust me. 
And God has a tendency not to tell you, okay, I won't, I won't listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to show you this right here because this part fits with this part, which fits with this part. This person over here needs this. God's not going to give you all these details, how all this stuff fits together. And when you listen to people give a testimony of how all the different things fit together, they're always looking back because they didn't know going forward. How are we going to do this? How is this going to manifest? God says, trust me, trust my heart for you and trust my welfare of you. And then he says, trusting God. This is what he kind of dropped in my heart on, on, um, on Thursday. Like I said, I said a little clumsy. <laughs> trusting God means trusting his methods towards you. This is the way I want you to do it. Well, Lord, I ain't ever seen nobody do it this way. Right. This is the way I want you to do it. Yeah, yeah, but Lord, I, they, well, I read the, this book about how you build it like this. He said, right, I understand that. And I had to read that book because I want you to get a concept, but I don't want you to try to do what they did because you are not them. I know your personality. I know your assignment. I know your influence. And I want you to do it my way because I know the people that you're called to reach. Do it my way and trust my heart for you. Trusting is the action of faith. If faith, therefore, I, I like to say it like this, if faith is the subject, trust is the verb. Trust is how we show action. Trust also manifests in what you do. So therefore, that's why I say trust is the action. If you say you're trusting God, it is the correspondence of your actions to do what he said for you to do. Well, in the midst of trusting God, and believe in God, we got issues that come up. Two major issues that happen in our life that come up on a routine basis is this issue of doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief. I heard Pastor Corbett say something. I was listening to his midweek broadcast and he said something I thought was really good. He said, you will grow to the point of your disobedience. You will grow to the point of your disobedience. You know, I'm connected, Pastor Corp, so I've used one of his points. Amen. <laughs> you will grow to the point of your disobedience. Now, I say, I'll tell Pastor, if he was here, probably quote you one time, then after a while, I'm just going to take possession of it. <laughs> you will grow to the point of your disobedience. So, when you are growing with God, walking down the journey of faith, developing, and you come across this stumbling block, this area where God says, I want you to change this. And you say, I don't want to change this. That's when your growth stops. Go this way. I don't want to go that way, God. That's when your growth stops. And until you repent and get back in the right order, your growth will not continue. And that's what's happened with a lot of Christians. They grew, they grew, they grew, but there was an issue that came about. They made a decision. It was the wrong decision, and their growth stopped, and they can't figure out what happened. You will grow to the point of your disobedience. Well, what happened? Well, this stoppage, if you will, of your growth is facilitated by one of two things, doubt or unbelief doubt or unbelief. We remember in Genesis chapter number 15, Abraham, Abram, as, at this point, of course, his name was Abram. He's struggling because, God, I've seen you do stuff in my life, but I got this one major area that you promised me that's not in manifestation. Turn back, if you will, to Genesis chapter number 12. 
Genesis chapter number 12. He says, I see all of these things because I go back to our foundation, God. The original thing that you promised me. Genesis chapter number 12. Abram did not originate his call. And I think that's important we understand. That's why I say again, your speaking has to be rooted in a promise. Your movement has to be rooted in a promise. We just don't go do what we want to do. Jesus didn't, you can't either. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord God, verse number one says, the Lord said unto Abraham, Abram, I'm saying, get thee from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee and I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curse thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God shows up at Abraham's house one night, his house one night and said, God, I'm going to bless you. If you follow me, it's going to be worth your while. That thing is that you've been believing for in your heart, this hope, it's been united with a word from me, which is evidence. And now what I need you to do is correspond to what I am telling you to do. Abraham was blessed. The blessing showed up on his life. Prosperity showed up on his life. The blessing showed up on his house in protection. The blessing in all these areas showed up on it in his life except one area that he didn't have a son. How can I be the father of nations and I don't have seed yet? So he's struggling in this area. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, with this area of God, I've seen you do other things, but this one area hasn't manifested in my life. And what we see happening in his life is this area of doubt. What is doubt? It essentially is to be unsure. Have you ever had something in your life where you're just a little bit, it's another way of saying it, to be hesitant. I'm moving, but I'm moving forward, but it's the stagger that we have to believe God. God, you said this, but I'm unsure if this is really going to happen. Doubt is to be simply unsure. To be unsure of God's will, but specifically unsure will God do this for me. God, I know you can bless, but I'm not sure you, me. God, I know you can heal, but I'm not sure if you will heal me. I've even seen your promise that you have healed before. But will you do this for me? My faith has to overcome this area of doubt. Doubt literally is, is, comes from a Greek word which means faithlessness. It means disbelief. It means unfaithfulness. I cannot operate in faith unless I deal with these areas of doubt in my heart. Y'all say this, and one of the biggest issues that we have where doubt is concerned is that we will talk ourselves out of what God called us to do. He'll say, move this way. You'll start moving, but you'll start thinking about all of the issues that you have to overcome, and little by little, you'll start talking yourself out of the will of God. 
Because you start thinking, well, I know how much I got. He didn't tell you that. Well, I know how much I, ah, he didn't tell you that. Yeah, I know, I don't know that. He didn't tell you that. He just told you to do what you know to do. And stop talking yourself out of the will of God as if he's not there to give you the stuff that you need to learn on the journey. The doubt that shows up is an issue that is an incumbent of you moving fully in faith. Let's look over here at James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse number 5. Now notice this. James chapter 1 and verse number 5. I'm not sure if that one's in the slide either uh, fully, but praise God anyway. It says in verse number 5, it says, If any man or any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. What is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge. We understand that, right? The Bible says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Well, what is understanding? Comprehension. So comprehension is what facilitates you being able to apply the knowledge. God says, if you are lacking in the ability to apply the knowledge, if you're lacking in the ability of knowing how to do it, he says, let him ask of God. Now, he goes on to say that God that giveth to all men liberally and unbridled not, and it shall be given him. Let me pause and say this because sometimes people think, you know, when let me ask of God, then God just drops wisdom. And then sometimes he does. But one thing that I've, I've learned over the years that sometimes that God does is he'll say, okay, my wisdom for you is that you need to sign up to go to school. And every professor, even those that are not necessarily uh, uh, anointed because they're not Christians, they are assigned to help you develop. Or I'll put you in an environment for your growth and your development because you ask me for wisdom and my wisdom for you is for you to go here. And so instead of you trying to shake, tremble, and look spooky, God said, go register and do this because they have the stuff that you need to get you to the place I'm showing you. That takes a little bit away from that, that spookiness. He says, if any man lack wisdom, let him essentially start with me. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't give you wisdom. And we should be expecting the wisdom of God to flow in the assignment that he gives you. Because we see the Solomon concept. Well, the Solomon concept is God literally drops the wisdom that he needs to be able to operate in a level of leadership inside of him. So I'm not discounting that. I'm just giving a proper balance to both. He says, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. In other words, he's freely giving out wisdom. You got to see God saying, I'll give you this wisdom. I'll give you this wisdom. I'll give it to you. But you got to ask me for it. I'm not going to push wisdom on you. It requires that you humble yourself enough to say, God, I need you. Which is what? Trusting his welfare and his means for you. He says, and it shall be given him. It might not. It, it's going to happen. Verse number six says, but let him ask in faith. So when I'm asking for the wisdom of God, I should be asking in faith. Well, I can't be asking in faith apart from evidence. He said in verse number five, any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and I'm bright of not. So I have a promise so that when I'm asking, I'm asking in faith. And I now, he goes on to say, verse number six, let him ask in faith, not wavering for he that waver is like a 
wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. For let, verse 7, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So what is he saying? When I go to God asking for wisdom, how faith looks is, God, I believe I receive your wisdom as I ask for Amen. Now, what happens, that's the reason why I say, what will happen is God will give you direction. He'll give you a directive. He'll show you what to do when you go to him. But he said the caveat to you receiving God's wisdom is you have to ask in faith. Well, I can't ask in faith if I don't have evidence. I can't have evidence if I don't hope that God at least wants to give me some wisdom. And I can't do, the, I can't operate in wisdom or I can't operate in, in hope or evidence if I don't do something. So whatever he tells me to do is how I get the wisdom in which he's intended for me to have. Does that make sense? Just looking at the process. So how do I overcome this area of doubt? If I'm having a doubt about my abilities, I ask God for wisdom concerning what am I supposed to do next, God? And I believe that I receive it when I say amen. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Doubt, once again, can be a result of a simple lack of knowledge. It can be the result of a simple lack of knowledge. I don't know what God would do. That's the problem. Find some evidence. I don't know that God wants me to operate in wisdom. Find some evidence. Get in the word. Determine to know more about your heavenly father and his heart towards you. And that's what gives you the knowledge so that it can overcome this area of unsureness. Doubt can be uh, because you're giving more attention to other things other than the Word of God. I've spent more time watching TV, perhaps, than uh, spending time in the Word. I spend more time listening to Pookie and them and what they have to say about life instead of finding out what the Word of God says about life itself. You know, this is one of the areas where people get messed up with marriages. They spend so much time looking at people they don't know. Trying to pattern their marriage after somebody they don't know, that they don't get in the word of God to find out the author of marriage himself. What is your opinion on marriage? You might be finding out that you're patterning yourself out of people that have open marriage. You might be finding out you're patterning yourself out of people that don't really have the marriage you think they have. And that's why you get shocked when they're up and getting divorced. You say, well, what happened? Well, you didn't know them. You didn't know what was going on in their house and in their life. Let's pattern ourselves Almighty God, who's the author and the originator of the concept of marriage. So sometimes doubt can be an, uh, 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 a result of giving more attention to other things other than God's word. Doubt is very specific because it can be quickly overcome with more information. It can be quickly overcome by making a quality decision that no, I know I'm not sure here, but I trust his heart there. I'm not sure here, but I trust his character here. And that's the reason why you got to make sure your heart is established. I'm not sure, but I know God loves me. And he wouldn't lead me to a place of error. He would not lead me to a place of failure. He would not lead me to a place in which he's going to, to be, place me to be embarrassed. Because my steps are originating from him. And so therefore, everything I do is for his glory and not mine. I trust his heart. And so therefore, when doubt shows up, I still revert back to the relationship. Unbelief, though, is different. Unbelief is a belief system. It is a way of thinking that is in complete opposition to God's ways.
unbelief says every time you make a move to do this, it shows up in your life to say, that ain't what we do. We believe that. I know the word says this, but we believe that. Unbelief can be the result of the act of the will to disregard the word. I know people right now that are completely disregarding the word. And one of the reasons why, you know, some people we've invited to this church, God began to say to me, stop inviting them. I said, well, don't you care about them? Yeah, it ain't that I don't care about them. Their heart is hardened. We're inviting them to church is concerned. They won't listen to me. They ain't going to listen to you. So ain't no need you inviting them right now until they decide to repent of this area of unbelief. Unbelief can be, I've decided as an act of my will, I am going to disregard God's word. Unbelief can be the result of, I've had an experience in my life that has the word in contradiction in my life. God, you said this, but I saw that. You said this in your word. I heard the preacher say that. I saw it in the scripture myself. But this happened in my life, and now I have this contradiction that I got to overcome. It's the same situation that we see with Peter. Now, he's the one that got revelation of the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. It wasn't too long later that he sees the Christ in handcuffs. It's not too long later that he sees the Christ, the Son of God. He's getting slapped around, being brought before the Sanhedrin. He's in conflict. There's a contradiction. And in the midst of your contradiction, that is when the devil will show up in your life and say, huh, what do you really believe? What do you really believe? You see what's going on? You see what he said? What do you believe? And you got to make a choice at this point. And sometimes people made the wrong choice and they moved into a fortified position in which they no longer believe the word. They seen God. Because Peter looks like this. He's walked with Jesus for years. But now because he makes a decision to walk away from faith, that's why Jesus said, I pray for you that your faith will not cease to exist. That there's going to be a time, Peter, where you're going to be challenged with what you believe. But I'm praying for you because the contradiction is coming. And I want to tell all of you that the contradiction of God's word will show up in your life. And you're going to have to make a decision what you believe. You said this, God, but I see that. Do not resort to only what you see. Trust what he said. So unbelief also can be the result, therefore, of a broken heart. Unbelief can be the result of believing the natural reality above spiritual truth. I believe what I see more than what he said. Well, one of the reasons why I believe that is because I spend more time with it, building up my belief system concerning the world system. Now, I want you to look at this. <clears throat> Let's look over at Matthew, chapter number 13. I'm going to spend a little time here because we got to see this. This is, this is important. Doubt is one thing. It's a stagger. It's unsureness. But unbelief is not, therefore, non-belief. You believe something. Look at this here. Look at this here. Lord help me, Jesus. <laughs> Matthew, chapter 13, he says, verse 54, he says, He returned to Nazareth, his hometown. He's talking about Jesus. Out of the New Living Translation, he says, And when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was so amazed, uh, was amazed and said, Where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? So he returns to Nazareth. This is Jesus returning to his hometown. 
amongst his auntie, uncles, and them. Going to the home church, if you will. Showing up the minister of the word. And they start talking amongst themselves because they heard about what he'd been doing out there by the time we get to Matthew chapter 13. And he says, verse number uh, 55, then they scoff. He's just a carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brother, Joseph, I mean, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And all his sisters have uh, uh, live right here among us. He said, we know all his family. We know every last one. We know his aunties, his uncles, his brothers and sisters. We know all of them. And ain't his daddy Joseph? Ain't that Joseph's boy up there preaching? He says, where did he learn these things? Because we know he didn't go to the university. We know he's just a carpenter. It's in our day, because, you know, carpentry still exists. The person that comes to your house and is fixing the cabinets, all of a sudden becomes the preacher, the apostle. And you're looking at him saying, wait, did he go to school? We know him. He was making cabinets last week. Dang's preaching. What's going on here? We heard about all the miracles that were taking place, but we didn't see where he had the credentials to do these things. Verse 57. He says, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. This is Jesus, son of God, the Christ. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except his home, hometown among his own family. One of the reasons why that happens is because a lot of people think to be anointed, you got to look spooky. Jesus must have evidently looked normal. This is for all, this side journey for all my spooky preachers out here. They got special robes and special hats and special stuff. You ain't got to do none of that to be anointed. Evidently, Jesus looked so normal that they were looking at him saying, wait a minute now. How is he doing this stuff? We know his family. And the scripture says clearly right here, they were offended. So he's preaching. He's getting ready to do the same things he did another time. But they are offended at who he is. Watch this, verse 58. And so... He did only a few miracles because of their unbelief. Their belief system was, it has to come a certain kind of way. Their belief system was, ain't no way in the world that the carpenter's son could be the son of God. No, I don't believe that. And so the miracles that the other towns got, they didn't get in his home hometown, not because of the anointing that rested on him. It's because of the unbelief that existed in their hearts. And that's the issue. A lot of folks, you know, you mentally ascend to the church that you go to. But you show up, you don't receive from the man or the woman of God because of your unbelief. You say, well, that's just, oh, I ain't going to say what I was about to say. Heck, the Holy Ghost now. That's just a dude standing up there. I don't, you know, he's just like me. Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Yeah, flesh and blood. But he's standing in the ability of God. He's standing in the call of God. And what is on his life is for you. And if you would receive the prophet, you would receive the prophet's reward. And that's the problem. Your unbelief says, now nah, I will not believe that person. Now let me balance that out. This is the reason why God, the gifts and the calls of God are without repentance. In other words, he doesn't change his mind. But now stewardship of that gift is inside the domain of the vessel that God calls. I.e., 
God calls you and you can't call yourself. It's a gift. He's called you to the ministry. Whether or not you walk in character for people to receive that gift, that's not on God, but it's on you. And the reason why a lot of people have stopped receiving, maybe perhaps from your ministry, is because they see that your character does not reflect the character of God. And so when they look at your character, they move to a place where they don't believe that you really are called anymore and they won't receive from you. And it ain't got nothing to do with God. It ain't got nothing to do with anything other than the fact that you walked away from character. When we walk away from character, we, we stop people's ability to receive from us. Yeah, you cried and you went from the pulpit and all these kind of things. But now people see you. They don't see the anointing of God on your life. What they see is somebody that's just like me and you just proved it in their life. And now they, they have difficulty receiving the anointing on you. Stewardship of the call is in your purview. The call is from God. Jesus is different in this situation. They don't receive from him because they believe that he's just a carpenter's son. And that also will stop you from receiving from God because you have a belief system that is opposite against or against what God has said. Now watch this and I'm going to close. We said this on this past week. Five basic points concerning this area of doubt and unbelief. Number one, watch this. Never think that you are in faith because you are simply acting like faith people. Never think that you are in faith because, notice the term, acting. You are acting like faith people. You know how to say the right stuff. You know how to jerk the right kind of way. We have mastered pretension and phoniness within the church. We know how to do it just like we saw Bishop, what's the name, do it. I have my color. You won't say that. There are some preachers right now that are going home. They just left a major conference right downtown Charlotte. What you learned this week wasn't the anointing. What you learned this week is how to act anointed. And you're trying to do what you saw the pastor, the bishop do, and you have a master the walk that he walks in. And until you walk the walk that he walks, you won't see the manifestation that he sees. Never think that you are in faith because you are simply acting like faith, folks. You're not fooling God and you're not fooling the devil. You should know where you are. Long scripture, but I'm going to give you this really quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, because I need you to understand, this is a part of the last days. This is out of the voice translation. It says, and know this, in the last days, times will be hard. He says, verse number 2, you see, the world will be filled with narcissistic, money-grubbing, pretentious, arrogant, and abusive people. So now we just saw somebody slap somebody on national TV. He says that this is a characteristic of the last day. It's in this Bible. Abusive people, they will rebel against their parents and will be ungrateful, unholy, uncaring, cold-hearted, accusing, without, without uh, restraint, savage, haters of anything good. That's in your Bible. He says that's a characteristic of the last day. Be not surprised when you see abusive things on your television. Well, you've been prepped for it for years. Verse number five. Notice this. He says, even though they look or act like godly people, they are not or they're not. 
They deny his power. And I tell you, he says, stay away from people like these. There's a lot of people acting like faith folks today, but it's not in their heart. There's a lot of people that have mastered the shake, the jiggle, how to do all the church stuff, but it ain't real. Faith only works when it's coming out of the abundance of your heart. Second Corinthians chapter uh, number 13, really quick, out of the Amplified. The classic Amplified says, examine and test, or examine and test and evaluate your own self to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruit of it. You should be examining yourself all of the time. You should be looking at what can I believe God for this year? Where is my hope? What evidence do I have? And what corresponding actions do I operate in? Can I believe God for this? I'm believing God for that, yes, but can I believe God for the ordinary? He says, test and prove yourself, not Christ. So this is not something God's going to do for you. You should be testing yourself all the time. One of the elements that I didn't read it a few minutes ago, but we understand it's in there. One of the elements of the Eucharist is to examine one's own heart. He says, do you not uh, yourselves realize and know thoroughly by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are a counterfeit disproved on trial or rejected. Now watch this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says that at the bottom that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, what is a measure? It is a degree. It is a quantity. It is an amount. It is a condition. You should know this about yourself. What degree of my faith? What's the level of my faith? The level of my faith is connected to the level of word that's in my heart. What's the quantity of my faith? Is it big enough? Maybe that's the reason why God has some things on hold because he says, your faith is not big enough for that yet. And i got to work this thing through you, my word, this area of trusting you, for you to get developed so you can receive that. That's why we're on this journey. The amount. It's a measure, it's an amount. How much faith do I have? You know, just like uh, physical currency, you shouldn't be going out spending above what you have in your account. Shout me down now. You shouldn't be living beyond your means because I know by experience, I'll tell you what, you slide that car and it ain't in there, it's going to tell you, uh -uh, no, car decline. And some people spiritually, that's, what happened, that's what's happening in their life, that it, you're getting a decline. You say, what's going on? I'm getting declining because you haven't, your condition or your amount of faith is not there. It's not there yet. It can get there, but it's not there yet. Condition, what is the quality of your faith? Is it pure or is it diluted with this area of doubt or unbelief? That's why we're spending time talking about doubt and unbelief because it, it has everything to do with the condition of your faith. I believe God all in these areas, but I got an area of unbelief in my life where God says, I need you to repent from that area so that it purifies the condition of your faith. Number two, your faith will be tested, authenticated, so you should know where you are. That's the reason why we should know where we are, because your faith is going to be tested. You will have opportunities for doubt, and you will have opportunities that challenge your belief system. You will have opportunities that challenge your belief system. Your growth, 
You only grow to the point of your disobedience. So when God shows you a point where you are disobedient, repent, repent from that belief system and you will continue to grow. The test produces endurance and the test uh, is also an indication of your current faith level. Number three, God will permit, God will never permit rather your faith to be tested beyond the ability to pass the test. God will never permit you to be tested beyond, beyond your ability to pass the test. For the sake of time, I'm not going to show you all the scriptures associated with this or we might be here a little longer. Number four, overcoming doubt comes through, watch this. If I'm looking to overcome doubt, it comes through time and attention given to God, his word, and choosing to believe. I got to put the time in. I, 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 I not, not somebody else, I got to put the time in. What do you believe? What do you believe about God and his word? What do you believe about this particular area that you're struggling with? I got to put the time in. What am I doing when I put the time in? I am establishing my heart. I am putting myself in the position where I abide. Now watch this. I will show you this. Hebrews 11, verse number 11. Watch this. This is Sarah. Uh, I have the classic amplified version of the Bible. It says, because of faith, also, Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child even when she was long past the age for it because she considered God who had given her the promise to be reliable and trustworthy and true to his word. I want to submit this to you. When you put the time in with God, it allows you to be strengthened by God to conceive that thing that he gave you. She considered God, he's worthy of my trust. I've spent enough time with God that I'm strengthened in this area of my faith so that I can make those steps. I can make those decisions. I can do the things that are corresponding with what I say I believe because I've spent the time establishing my heart. Now watch this really quick, really quick, really quick. Joshua 1 and verse 8. Watch this how it says it out of the New Living Translation. Because we read all the time in the, in the uh, King James. Watch how it says it in the New Living Translation. He says, study this book of instructions continually. Study this book of instructions continually. And that's what we ought to see when we see the word of God. This is a book of instructions. He says, study it continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So the onus on the time is not God, it's you. Number five, and we'll quit. Unbelief is never, notice this, is not a moment of distrust. A moment of distrust is called doubt. Unbelief is a fortified new belief system that does require repentance. That's why he says your mind must be renewed because you thought this, but you need to think this way. And you need to think in line with God's heart. A lot of things, see, this is what religion does. Religion gives you the rules, but it, it, it takes out the heart. That we tell you, this is what the word says. Stop doing that. Put that down. Do all these kind of things. But if you divorce it from the heart of love, then you don't really see and know God. God says, I want you to do it this way because this is the best way for you. I think there was an article that I was listening um, to.
to a podcast they were talking about in the New York Times where it talks about that they are figuring out that free sex, any kind of way, you know, consensual, do it any way I want, doesn't seem to be fulfilling to people. Imagine that. Now in the church, we've been saying that the entire time. Because we said the scriptures indicate that the heart of God is I want you to keep sex in the confines of people that are committed to each other. That are in covenant relationship with each other. So you don't have to worry about your sexual looks and desires and feels and all this going all out in the street. It's only between two people that have committed themselves before me, before God, and are committed to each other. God says that's the intent. What y'all decide to do, that's your business. And you get what you get. And if we start seeing it as a part of God issue instead of a religious issue, then we will never move into the area where we start operating in the area of obedience. He says unbelief, unbelief is not a moment of distrust. It's a fortified new way of thinking. That is an opposition. It does require repentance. Hebrews 3 and verse 12 says, Take heed, brother, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And that's exactly what unbelief is. It is a departure from the living God. To believe what you want to believe. Or as we say today, I'm living in my truth. Well, you living in your truth means that you don't walk away from the truth. And you get what you get. Living by faith is a choice. Now I'm talking to believers. Living by faith is a choice that we choose to live by, not an event, not a moment. And so therefore, we have to talk about faith and how to live by it. Because he says, without it, it's impossible to please God. Let's pray. Father God, the authority in the name of Jesus, God, we bless you and we honor you. We thank you, Lord, that we call ourselves able. God, we trust you. We trust your heart. We trust your welfare of us. And we trust your methods. Your heart, your welfare, and your methods. Lord, we might, we might disagree. But we choose to conform to your methods because we trust your heart. Oh, how you love us, oh God. And Lord, everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, I pray, let your love be seen clearly. Not the religion that, that people have made about you, but your heart for them. Open blinded eyes so that they might see you. God, I give you praise and I give you glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We decide as an act of our will to trust you. We trust you with our business. We trust you with our ministry. We trust you with our house. We trust you with every area of our life, God. If you called it, you can assign it. If you, since you assign it, you're able to prosper in the thing that you send it. And so God, we trust your methods when we don't understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I've been convicted to start doing this since we're streaming live. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you come in contact with this stream, 
because, see right there, it's because God said this is the day to make a decision to turn and repent. If that's you, I want to pray with you. This is the day. You heard enough about the gospel. You've just been operating in a heart of unbelief. And so this message was sent for you to pierce through that stony heart so that you would receive his love. If that's you, I want you to pray with me now as the congregation prays with me. Say, so, dear God, I come before you humbly. Receive my life, God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. This day, God, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my heavenly father. I receive you now in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer according to the word of God you have been made a child of God he is your Abba father which means he's your daddy God from this day forward get yourself I want to I encourage you to get yourself in an environment where you can grow and develop get into the word of God so that you can learn more about who God is not the religion that has been made about God but developing the relationship that God has called every single one of us to which is called a life of faith of course we would love for you to come on down to the training center here in Gastonia North Carolina but we want you to you know for those that follow us that are not located uh, in our area we just want you to be involved with a word based church amen praise the Lord